Welcome to the Two Lawyers and the Human podcast, a podcast for change leaders in the legal industry. My name is Jan Rogge, founder of Change.Legal. In this podcast, we invite legal innovators and explore how to make lawyers adapt and embrace change. What is holding the legal industry back and how might we introduce and leverage best practices from other industries? Our first guest and my co-host for the day is Kelly McBroom. Kelly is the founder and CEO of Big Dump Plungers, a company building and selling toilet plungers made from recycled sports equipment. Make sure to check out her website, www.bigdumpplungers.com. She holds a marketing degree from Montana State University, and she's also a former member of the Canadian national ski team. Our main guest today is Kat Moon. Kat is a director of the Program on Law and Innovation at Vanderbilt Law School in Nashville, Tennessee. She's also one of the leading voices on legal innovation and future of legal education. And as part of the Summit on Law and Innovation, she will be hosting the first failure camp for legal innovators in Nashville this summer. Make sure to check it out at www.failurecamp.com. Good morning, Kat and Kelly. Thank you for joining our podcast today. Um, Kat, uh, humble curiosity is one of your favorite hashtags on Twitter. Uh, so I thought it might be a good idea to talk about curiosity with you. Uh, why do we need curiosity in the legal industry? Why does curiosity matter? Ah, such, such an important topic. And yes, one near and dear to my heart. So um, I really think that curiosity and specifically humble curiosity of the intellectual sort is critical to simply thriving as a human. And when you are in a professional services industry like the legal profession, I think it is critical to providing client-centered, human-centered services to the folks who you serve. And frankly, I just think it makes the practice of law more fun, more enjoyable, and is likely to lead to humans doing the work, actually thriving in the work. So that's really the fundamental basis, I think, for my passion. Um, and yes, I use the hashtag a lot. <laughs> so I'm quite guilty of that. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, and I'm happy to elaborate as to why I think curiosity itself is so important, if you would like me to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, please go ahead. Because curiosity is, is one of the things I've discovered is that curiosity is, is difficult in the legal industry. Um, probably because we are used to being the experts yeah. and because we want to be efficient. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think that actually efficiency can be the enemy of both curiosity and creativity, frankly. Um, so that's a delicate mm -hmm. balance. I think we've got to, to manage that. So I will say a couple of things in response to curiosity, specifically in the legal industry. First, I believe from my own experience, so this is, this is anecdotal, but it really has been affirmed by every single person I've ever had this conversation with. And at this point that I feel like it's thousands of people, probably not that many, but a lot of people, I really believe if we look throughout history 
at first, really any successful person. And we can define that in a lot of ways, but I would say someone who is thriving where they are. I I believe you would find at their core a, a genuine curiosity. And I think if you look at those lawyers, even 50 years ago, I look at my father who practiced, started practicing law before I was even born. And I was born a long time ago. Um, he always brought a really intense intellectual curiosity to his work that, um, was not only curiosity about the nature of the law and always wanting to know more and learn, but also a really deep, genuine curiosity about the people he served. And so I think that 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 is a common trait if we look at those folks who even have thrived as, as a quote, traditional lawyer. So I actually don't think it's unusual. I think that it is definitely not supported or facilitated or encouraged by the way the legal industry and the delivery of legal services has evolved. And it certainly is not a key element in a broad, holistic sense in the way we educate lawyers, at least in the U.S. And I think this also um, might apply to how lawyers are educated in Canada as well. I can't speak to. So I have a question for you. So do you find that your students show up naturally curious or is it something that you actually have to teach them to be? Well, first... Unfortunately, I don't get students until they've gone through their first year of law school. And so it is impossible for me to know, except by conversation with students, what their natural curiosity level was and their inclination when they showed up at Vanderbilt Law School. Um, They have gone through their first year, which for all intents and purposes, really trains you how to start thinking like a law student, which then leads you to thinking like a lawyer. And that's a very, frankly, I believe, rote way of approaching the world. And so they do, for the most part, enter my classes, um, having had their curiosity, again, in kind of a holistic sense, very much uh, crushed (laughs) by the experience they've had in law school up until that point. Um, You know, I do think that just folks generally bring different levels of curiosity to the world. There are clearly folks who just by their nature really aren't that curious. And there are some people who are probably curious to a fault. Um, I do give my students this curiosity assessment right at the beginning of of the course to help them gain self-awareness first about what curiosity means and to, to figure out where they are when they start. And then we go back to it at the end of the course to see if there's been any shift. I also will say, I think my courses tend to attract the more curious generally because they are so different from the typical law school curriculum. And so for those students who really just want to get in there and be really good at the traditional law school curriculum, and that's a lot of them because that leads to all the traditional measures of success. Um, Probably not attracted to my class because they're not curious about the difference. Um, So I guess that's, it's, it's a nuanced thing to figure out, right? Um, 
And, and certainly there are going to be some students who identify that like they will self-identify. I'm not really curious. I'm not really creative. I'm not, you know, I'm not, 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 not. Um, so I'm like, well, I got my work cut out for me here. I like a challenge. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what, what you, uh, you talk about, uh, how law schools, um, do not encourage curiosity and how you try to, to do it in your classes, but let's say they come out of school being curious and then they go work in a, in a big law firm where um, it's very serious, lots of pressure, uh, making mistakes is not an option. So there, again, I think the curiosity is being being limited by, by the... <laughs> By a lot of constraints and by the culture that that's that's existing in, in law firms or in the legal industry, do you see an option on, on how you how we can reconcile the, the the need for curiosity and on the one side and the uh, the very strict uh, serious side of the legal industry? So, yeah, you've hit on an issue that really my students begin to struggle with as soon as they understand the nature of the work we're doing in my courses. And without fail, within the first few weeks, someone will ask the question, um, how do I actually do this when I get out? Because I, in all my courses, give students data about what it's like to work in a law firm. We look at industry reports. We read um, anecdotal, anecdotal descriptions. We look at the high incidence of mental unwellness and addiction and depression in the legal industry. And so they have a sense of the industry that they're entering. And so they do ask the questions. So this is great. And I want to do these things and be these things, but I'm going into this place that, you know, is going to crush them even further <laughs> um, than law school. And so we spend a lot of time talking about how the individual can be empowered to really exercise curiosity as a superpower. And I, I, I have to believe that fundamentally a shift is taking place in part because, you know, we have new generations of lawyers entering the practice and these folks really do have a different outlook on life. And I'm going to avoid using any of the generation labels because I really think that frankly, that is distracting more than helpful. Um, I've got Gen X friends who, if you looked at their profile, you would describe them as a millennial. So I think that trying to, to kind of qualify people by the generation in which they fall isn't really helpful. So with that said, I do believe that maybe they value different things, they have different priorities, and they want to bring all of that with them into their work. And so they're already knowing that there's probably not going to be a great fit to go into a culture that was built by baby boomers and older Gen Xers, um, mainly white men who didn't have to take care of children or do a whole lot of other things that not only do a whole lot of people have to do, but more and more people actually want to do. So how do you, how do they go out and fr frankly be agents of change? I'm very upfront with my students that, um, I believe, and I believe the data clearly support that radical change is necessary 
if we are going to create a profession that truly serves the people we're intended to serve and allows the people doing the work to thrive. And so I anoint them as change agents. And we spend a lot of time talking about how can they go out in the world and really maintain their genuine curiosity and do good with it. And so it, it definitely can be overwhelming. I do believe it's possible and it has to be possible, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk about the world that, in which that's not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just get really depressed and, and give up. <laughs> Kelly, maybe you can, maybe there's a link there with your, uh, past as an, as an athlete, uh, as an athlete, you were working very hard, very serious, enormous pressure. You couldn't make any mistake because you would get hurt as a skier. How, how did you like combine the, the very serious, uh, competitive, hard part of being an athlete with staying curious and open? Yeah, you know, I think it's so interesting. The whole time I've been sitting here just thinking about all of the parallels that there are between athletics as well as not just being a lawyer, but being a professional in any organization. Um, In athletics, like Jan hit on, if you fall and if you screw up and fail, chances are when you're going 130 kilometers down a ski hill on on a sheet of ice, you're going to get hurt. And unfortunately, I made many mistakes and I got hurt multiple times. Um, and whether that's tied to my curiosity, I, I don't think so. I, I was just thinking that, you know, I wish I had been more curious in my athletic career. And I also think that there's a time and a place for curiosity. So, I wish I'd been more curious in training where that is the time to explore and to try new things and to fail consistently. However, on race day, for instance, that's not the time for curiosity. That's the time when you go on to autopilot. And, um, and I was just thinking too, I wonder Kat, if you could elaborate on how stress and being in a law firm and how stressful that really is and how that actually changes how people are curious. Cause I'm assuming it's very similar to athletics where when you're in a really stressful situation, you're going to be less curious. Yes. So uh, everything you said just now ties directly into the challenges we face in the legal profession. So I will say, interestingly, my first semester of teaching my kind of flagship course called legal problem solving. One of my students is a form was a former gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> and so, um, I, you know, I, and, and while she was my only Olympic gold medalist, all of my students, um, incredibly high achievers, right. Had, um, many of whom had done mm-hmm. amazing things before they even got to Vanderbilt. And we're doing amazing things there. And so, you know, I'm looking at this and I could almost feel the unrelenting pressure to achieve and perform. And so I think when you get in a high pressure work environment, like a law firm is, um, there are a whole lot of things going on. One, especially as a new lawyer, you're fresh out of law school and you're really battling imposter syndrome because while you did learn a lot of really valuable information, you, you hopefully learned how to think like a lawyer. Um, you don't know how to practice law. 
there is so much that you don't know. And depending on what you may have done before law school, or frankly, even where you were raised, how you were raised, um, your deficit could be even greater in terms of what's required from a professional skills level once you, you hit the ground. And nothing up until that point has probably prepared you for it because unfortunately, um, the summer experience for law students when they're, they go to a big firm to be what's called a summer associate resembles more of a summer camp than actual reality. So it's a lot of social and wine and dine and, and because the law firms are wanting to attract the best students, so they're essentially showing them a good time, which bears no relationship to what's going to be expected of you once you walk through the door. Um, then you walk through the door and you're told you need to build 1,900, 2,000 hours minimum um, more if you want to earn any kind of bonus. And you look around and everyone is operating under the same reward system. So the goal is to work as much and as hard as possible. And, and if you have a lot of things coming at you, most of which you have no idea how to do, um, you really need to be curious so that you can get the help you need to do the work, right? Um, it's critical, frankly, mm -hmm. that as you're mm -hmm. learning, you have safe places, much like the practice you described for your, um, your athletic development, you need a safe place really to practice and you've got to be curious and, and ask good questions and be able to get the information you need. You've got to be curious. So if there is this incredible time crunch and pressure, which there is, which is exacerbated by the fact that in the modern practice, in this modern era, um, clients, corporate legal departments no longer want to pay for any time that is expended by a first and sometimes even second or maybe even third year associate. So you've got baby lawyers who are expected to bill, but the firm is really bearing that expense. And so there is this financial um, pressure that is really unique, I think, to the legal profession. I think it's insidious. I think it rewards completely the wrong behavior. And you know, you're not, you're not given that safe space often to ask those critical questions and be really curious so that you can develop into a really, really strong, excellent lawyer. So I think that that's the, the fundamental issue. And you also go in and you start to assimilate. You, you take on the characteristics of those around you. It's not much different than a child speaks with the accent of those he or she is around the most. And you, as you go in and you're learning this language of law and of legal practice, you take on the language of those around you. And if you're in a place that um, does not support and reward curiosity, intellectual curiosity, as it's appropriate, then you're not going to learn that language. So I think that's, that's one of the, the fundamental challenges. And so now I'm going to ping back to you and make sure that I've responded fully to the query you asked because I, I maybe forgot part of it. <laughs> no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, honestly, because, um, you know, you think about you need time and space to push your boundaries and to be curious. And you need to be able to fail within that space. And failure is really when you grow the most as an individual in any aspect of life. 
And I think you, you've really hit on when you don't have the time and space to fail, are you really learning as much as you possibly could? And are you actually developing into the best lawyer um, that you possibly can be? So, yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head for, for my question. Absolutely. So, uh, yes, I, I agree with you completely about failure and how important it is to be able to try things even when you don't know if they will work and be able to learn and grow from them. And I do believe there are people in the legal profession who operate that way and who teach new lawyers in that way. I don't think that we are just completely bereft of, of that kind of, um, you know, professional approach, but I do think it is too rare. And again, it's typically in a typical law firm culture, it's simply just not rewarded. And so you get the behavior you reward. And that, again, I think goes back to um, a fundamental issue. So, um, and, and I do also believe that just the nature of our profession and frankly, the high stakes of so much of the work we do. So we can hold in our hands some of the most important issues our clients will ever face, right? And and often an important aspect of their future may depend on our ability to get it right. And that's incredibly stressful just on its face, <laughs> right? And so the margin for error when the stakes are so high, whether you're helping someone through a divorce or if you're handling an M&A deal for a multi-billion dollar global corporation, the margin of error is incredibly slim. So we really should, we need to find a way to figure out how to learn and strive for excellence in part by learning from what doesn't work before we get into that kind of pressure cooker situation. And I think that's a critical part of training a new lawyer. Mm -hmm. And And, and it doesn't really exist meaningfully in most places. And and maybe that's where uh, empathy comes in. Um, we are used to deciding for our clients what's best for them. So it, it gives us doesn't give us the opportunity to take risk because we have to decide what's best and we avoid risks. If we manage to talk to them and, and yeah. <laughs> listen to them, maybe there would be an opportunity to say, okay, let's we, we can try something new. Uh, it might not work. Are you willing to take the risk? And that's where you can start experimenting and trying new stuff. Yeah. Whereas in, in the current way we work, it's 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 pretty hard, Kelly, to, to go back to a client and say, okay, we tried something new, but it didn't work. Uh, sorry, you, you've lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, so you're, you're hitting, Jan, you're hitting on this intersection really of humble curiosity and empathy. And I think that's what makes those two characteristics, those mindsets, um, such superpowers for lawyers, because if you can combine your humble curiosity with a true empathy for a client situation and really co-create solutions with them and why humble curiosity is so important in that moment is you can show up as the technical legal expert 
absolutely. Like that's your role and you can own it and you can be very confident about your expertise in that area. At the same time that you recognize your client, whether it's an individual or, you know, or, or a corporation has expertise and knowledge that you lack. And it's when you can mm-hmm. put yourself in their shoes and see from their perspective and be curious about what you can learn in that moment and, and through that act that you can marry your technical legal expertise to all that the client brings and hopefully other professionals who can provide relevant data and input in the co-creative process. And I think that's when you can truly create a culture of co-creation in which you then have the ability to, with the client say, okay, we, we've all, we've looked at it from all these perspectives and let's craft a plan that clients comfortable with that allows you to apply your legal expertise. And if you're doing it together, there's never the surprise moment of having to come back to a client and say it didn't work. And I Mm -hmm. think what you also learn is that the lawyer's expectation of, of, for perfection is often not at all what the client frankly would be perfectly happy with. (laughs) And, and, but you don't know that unless you ask and, and while I do think thinking like a lawyer trains us to ask questions and look for information, I do not think it is generally taught in a way that really values empathy for all that it offers. And so I think that's a, that's a critical missing link we have in legal education as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, go ahead, Kelly. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so it sounds to me like a, like a growth mindset, which is the combination of curiosity and empathy and ap- approaching every conversation you have with, I have an opportunity to learn something from this individual. But how do you teach that to people? And how do you take a high achiever who probably doesn't like to fail and teach them, <laughs> <laughs> like really, at the yeah. end of the day, yeah. <laughs> how do you teach them to fail? So I can tell you how I did it and how I try to do it with my students. So um, first, from a psychological standpoint, one of the ways it's been shown that you help folks overcome a fear is actually exposing exposing them to that thing they fear. And um, so exposure therapy requires people to take safe, small steps um, to experience the thing they fear so that they can become more comfortable with it. And in many, in many ways, this has been shown through research to be an effective way of overcoming a fear. Um, so I think, and I did this, we can approach dealing with our fear of failure in that way by creating and looking for opportunities to try things that are as safe as possible, right? Not bet the farm type situations. You're not, you're not experimenting wildly on a, on a big legal matter, for example, but how can you look for opportunities, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life to start to experiment. And, and I think too, we're talking about intelligent failure. So this is, this is not about, accepting that you will stop striving to not make mistakes. This is not about making kind of sloppy mistakes, right? This is more 
about trying to understand how you can grow and be better and learn and understanding that that will require you to try new ways of doing things. And so how can you create an experiment that you design it to be successful? It's not as if you're going into it blindly and and, and unintentionally, but also understanding that you don't really have all the information you need to guarantee success. And that, that by definition is an experiment. You do not know the outcome. If you know the outcome, it's not an experiment. Um, So even if you were right, you might be successful, but also going into it, acknowledging that there is great value. Perhaps the total value will be what you learn from the process. So you try something and you learn as much from what didn't work as what does work. And so I I think that mindset, you can empower people to do that. You can force them to do that. Frankly, you can say, you have to create an experiment (laughs) and and you can give them parameters Mm -hmm. and support them going through that. And I took it upon myself to start doing that in my law practice. And, and it truly was trial and error and getting comfortable with the unknown and, you know, really trusting myself and, and the process and you can model it for people. I think again, going back to that, you assimilate to the culture that you enter. I think if you enter a culture that supports and rewards experimentation and accepts that growth happens as much from learning from what doesn't work as what does work, then you are going to assimilate to that behavior or you're going to leave because you can't stand it. And Hey, it is not for everyone. There completely (laughs) are. And I know people like this who just want to be their technical experts and do their one little thing in their corner of the universe and really want nothing to do with anything we're talking about. You know what? There's a place in the world for those folks. I also believe that they probably are not the people who are thriving as much as other folks. I also believe that we have a whole lot of important work to do in this profession and we need many, 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 many more people who are humbly curious and empathetic to be experimenting to help make law better. And so we need more people modeling it. We need more people trying it. And, and I think, you know, it's like I I taught public speaking. I have a master's in communication. I taught public speaking as part of that process in a couple of large public universities. And so I had this really broad range of students in that process and that experience. And while it's not an exact example, um, I believe teaching folks how to be experimental and how to let go or develop a healthier relationship with failure so that they can learn and grow from that process is frankly not much different than teaching them to get over their fear of speaking in, in a public setting. Um, there are processes, there are steps to take and you practice, you practice, practice, practice. Okay. Thank you, Kat. Um, I'm happy that you, I'm glad that you talked about failure because that can bring us to the, the last thing for today. And that's failure camp. Uh, yeah. What's failure camp? <laughs> 
Um, so failure camp is, I guess, my harebrained idea. Um, so well, let me let me back up and give a little bit of context. So I do teach and um, direct innovation in the program on law and innovation at Vanderbilt Law School. And we have an annual conference called the Summit on Law and Innovation. SOLI is the acronym. And we endeavor generally through SOLI to create connections across the legal spectrum and to those outside the formal legal spectrum to make law better, to help folks grow and learn and innovate. And so we're always looking for unique ways to get people's attention, to entice them to join us on this journey and connect into the work we're trying to do. And I will tell you, I've actually owned the domain failurecamp.com for probably five or six years. <laughs> so this has been, this has been an idea in my head because I told you in my practice, I really got into this notion of running experiments and trying things and, and really just letting, leaning into learning from what doesn't work. And, and I see perfectionism being so very insidious in our profession and it's not unique to law, definitely. Um, but this notion that we absolutely must be perfect all the time. Um, we should strive for excellence, not perfection, because perfection is not possible. Excellence is. And so I've, I've really had this secret mission to try to help rewire brains to strive for excellence instead of perfection. And I believe key to that journey is embracing failure, reframing failure as, as a learning opportunity that helps us be excellent. Um, so in planning Solly for this year, which is going to happen on July 20th at Vanderbilt Law School, um, I pitched to the team the idea of Failure Camp. And, and the concept really is to invite people to show up in what is going to be a really fun and somewhat lighthearted atmosphere. So I'm going to, we are going to play on the camp theme. Um, definitely. There's going to be stories around the campfire. We're going to have some camp food. We're going to um, do some arts and crafts and perhaps sing a song or two. Um, and all that's really intentional because creating a space where people feel relaxed and feel that creativity is welcome and encouraged and invited, I think is critical to really what I hope are going to be some pretty deep conversations we have. And the goal is really to invite people to show up and dig into what, what is their relationship with failure and how, how might that be holding them back in their role as legal innovators? Because the summit tends to attract those folks who kind of where, you know, identify as that. And, and how might they go about reframing that to leverage it really as a superpower instead of it being um, a hammer that, you know, we knock ourselves over the head with sometimes and keeps us down. And then the goal being ultimately, how can those folks go out and be change agents, go back to where they came from, the organization they came from, whether it's a law firm or a legal aid organization or a law school, and really be change agents to help create a culture in their organization that supports and rewards experimentation in order to achieve excellence. Okay. So July 20. Nashville Venerable Law School Failure Camp. Yes. 
Yeah, I think uh, you're going to be, be there. there huh? Kelly, you want to join? That sounds amazing. Yay! Can Why I be a lawyer and come fail too? <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I would say this is important. There are going to be a lot of folks there who do not have a JD degree and do not practice law. Um, this is this really, and that's critical to this work. I think really learning from how other people in different disciplines and different professions wrestle with these same issues is so, so important for us. And so, yes, come. And there will be a lot of other people there who are not walking around with the initials JD after their name. So. <laughs> oh, it sounds fantastic. I think failing is such an important part of life and you learn so much through your failures. So this is so exciting. Yeah. I'm excited to, to see how it all, how it all unfolds and maybe I'll be there. <laughs> oh, <yay. laughs> okay. Thanks, Kat, you've got to run. So we're going to finish here. Thank you very much. Uh, Kelly. Thank you very much too. Uh, Kat, I'll see you in, in, in July. And Absolutely. Yeah. This has been awesome, y'all. Thank me. Thanks so, so much. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, Kat. Interesting. Okay. Thanks, Kelly.